rolling. Cool. Oh, oops. All right. No, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> oh, man. Um, anyway, I, th- I think uh, just to mention to people, the one, you're awesome because you're back here for a second time. The first time, nothing was working. There was a uh, power was shut off and weird parts of the house because of construction and shit. And uh, here you are giving me a second chance. I appreciate it. But um, anyway, before we dive in, because I don't even know how to introduce you. So I'm going to make that your job. You go ahead and introduce you. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. My name is Margot Abadijan. I am a serial entrepreneur, stand-up comedian, a writer, uh, MC, host. Uh, and I like to go to events and parties and talk to people. Yeah. So I like to innovate. Well, yo, first of all, um, I like how you said serial, you know, serial <laughs> entrepreneur. That means you're the, you're the serious kind. You're the real deal, man. I, I guess it's the masochist in me. <laughs> <laughs> yo, I, I, um, I always, especially like extremely ambitious people like yourself, I always just like want to know like what, like what kind of like kid were you? Like what, what led to all this cool stuff that you're doing? Like. Oh my God, I was the weirdest kid. <laughs> it was so strange. I uh, I think I was like seven or something around there, six or seven. I found two by fours in the garage and I thought it'd be a great idea to do a Jesus play and make a crucifix and hang me up on it. So I convinced neighbor kids to go with me to yeah. the neighbors asking if they had a sledgehammer so I could make a crucifix. Yeah. Uh, and someone gave me one. Yeah. So another one thing I did was since school, I was since kindergarten, they've, I went to Catholic school. They make you start selling things, which I think explains a lot in my life. I sold everything. I sold wrapping paper, chocolate, um, random, random things, raffle tickets, mm. basically selling lottery tickets. And I was a Girl Scout, so then I had to sell Girl Scout cookies. And I remember around the same age, I didn't want to go house to house by myself. Mm-hmm. So, which, you know, nowadays you would never send a child to go to random people's uh, doors. <laughs> but, you know, back then, apparently it was fine. And I told my neighbor kid friends that I would pay them a dollar if they went with me. And they did. And so I went to this giant jar we had full of pennies. And I counted them out each 100 pennies, because that's a dollar, and I put it in one of those plastic cups you get at a casino that my aunt gave us, and I said, here's your dollar, and you can keep the cup. I thought that was very generous of me, and they just looked at me like they hated me, because that's not, you know, the dollar they were thinking. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I was in trouble a lot, you know, like my teachers, they... Let's just say they didn't really like me. Yeah, same. <laughs> Literally same all throughout school for me. I was uh, I was in trouble more times than not, man. But um, no, nah, that's cool because like you're you're um, we met at a uh, at the a, Austrian uh, Consulate General's house. Yeah, yeah, and that <laughs> yeah. was such a fun. That was such a weird like weird's not the right word because it, it it was like a good thing, but like it was there were so many different kinds of people there. Um, both like, like, I mean, on a literal level in terms of the amount of like countries people, you know, like people were coming from and all that, but that was a good time. And I, I remember, um, 
I don't know how we connected, but I just remember we connected and here we are. So yeah. this is cool. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what's in, like super intriguing about you to me is like, I think the combination of being in the finance world and comedy world is so interesting because like, to me, I feel like those things both each like require like different sides of the brain in a way and that like, I feel like a lot of comedians aren't like geared to like, like geared towards like having, I guess, like a financial mind and also vice versa. But like the fact that you're able to do both of those at a high level is just like, wh wh which one came first? They literally started on the same day. But I, I just to clarify, I wouldn't say I'm like a finance mind. I think I'm more of a entrepreneur. And I saw cryptocurrency or, or Bitcoin back in the day as a technology that could really disrupt financial mm. systems. Mm. And I'm, you know, I'm not very good at trading. I started three Bitcoin exchanges. I'm terrible at that. Uh, I'm, I'm not risk opposed when it comes to uh, starting companies and innovation, but when it comes to trading, that's not really where I know what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> not that I know what I'm doing ever, but I mean, I don't feel comfortable taking risks like that because it's just not really in my wheelhouse. I, I think of what I do kind of creative. I mean, solving problems, communicating with people, why it, this works for them. Now I have a fashion technology startup and talking to fashion brands and being able to illustrate and show to them that the technology we have can save them a lot of money and mm. reduce returns. Um, yeah. So I don't, I wouldn't say I'm, you know, like a financy person. It's yeah. just more of like an innovative space that has to deal with finance Yeah. that a lot of people in the space in crypto don't realize it is finance because if you are not following the rules, even if they don't exist, you can go to prison. And I've known a few people who have. <laughs> so I do, I definitely am cautious when it comes to, you know, what, what lanes I'm playing in, in that space and being overly cautious because it is finance. I just don't do the financey things in it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, I, first of all, I, I appreciate the distinction just because, uh, man, the crypto stuff is, uh, and I, you know, I was like, you know what, maybe should I bring up the FTX stuff and all that? But I think um, um, to the average person, which I very much am relative to like my understanding of uh, crypto, I think um, I feel like it's new enough for everyone to kind of like remember the first time that they even like heard the word crypto. But I'm, I'm curious as to like what when did you first hear about crypto and how long did it take for you to like realize like the the potential of it and like the opportunity in it but like what what led you down the road well i lived in san francisco and i had a bunch of nerdy friends and they were in startups and i remember one kept talking about bitcoin he was really into bitcoin i didn't really know what it was but i heard this word probably maybe it was 2011 2012 and then i met people who were starting the first relaunching the first American Bitcoin exchange in 2012. And I knew a little bit about Bitcoin. And I remember there was this one VC from a very, very big firm who was like, it's stupid or whatever he said, but it was something that was way more out of the box. And like this word was thrown around so much back then disruptive than what I was seeing at the time, which was, five different photo sharing apps mm. besides Instagram. And 
you're like, how innovative is that? Like, okay, how many do we need where we have something that is a completely different technology that is essentially like digital gold where you have not just the representation of something, but physically have it in a way digitally. And I didn't really know that much about it when I got involved. And then I was kind of forced to. And um, I'm in the documentary, The Rise and Rise of Bitcoin. And there's a part where I say, this is very meta and weird. But um, I, I talk about how, you know, when I was started out, no one knew what Bitcoin was. But then you see the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, all these big publications starting to now write about it. Mm -hmm. And to be there when that was happening was really exciting because you weren't just the weirdo trying to explain mm. this really complicated concept where no one ever heard the word before. And I got a lot of practice talking about it because I would take, you know, Ubers and Lyfts all around SF. And when the, it used to be way more friendly back in the day, it was, it was like people trying to make some extra money. Um, I mean, it still is, but like even more so back then. And they would ask what you do. And I'd have 10 to 15 minutes to explain what the hell this this really complicated thing yeah, was. Yeah, dude, I remember, um, it's funny I'm saying this now because my, I just uh, had um, a lady on the podcast, she's an economist, but like she tracks like what goes on in the uh, the dark web, like all the oh, markets wow. and stuff. And um, I was telling her like my first experience, um, like going on the dark web, because uh, like in high school, I remember this, there was this like kid that like was getting like amazing weed for like a super cheap price <laughs> he's like yeah man just like go on this you know on site called road. silk road yeah. yeah and um no but i remember i remember like giving up within 10 minutes because you going on tour yeah it's really hard no no dude like like the hardest part because like that that wasn't too hard i just had to download like a browser and and, and thank god i didn't actually go through with it because i would have been fucking <laughs> fucked instantly but i remember the hardest part was this must have been like 2012 and I was like, how the fuck do you, like, why do these guys not take money? Oh, like, why yeah. can't I pay with, you know, yeah. now I get it. But like, what, I was like 15 at the time or some shit. And, uh, you know, trying to buy Bitcoin in 2012 was like a fucking, like, headache. Yeah. It's like, it what, was like, Mount you know? Gox, I think, was kind of that. And there was BitInstant, which, and then there was local bitcoins, which was kind of interesting because you would have you would meet the people in person, mm. and if you were traveling all over the world or wherever, it was like it was kind of way to meet people. I rarely did that, mm. but I had friends who did, and and it was a way to instantly get whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Do do you um I'm 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 curious just because like, do you. Like, I, I think about, like, how music is discussed on a, like, on, you know, on a media level, like, especially from people that aren't musicians and, like, maybe don't see certain nuances. And, and, I, and I wonder if, like, for you, for crypto, when you see the dialogue surrounding it, like, over the years, seeing people, like, discover it and get to use it, do you think, like, do you think th the mainstream media has like really explained or captured what crypto is what bitcoin is um in an accurate way that is like like helpful like in turn when you see like the the general dialogue surrounding it i mean i definitely think there's there are writers who are very well versed in what it is um 
I think where sometimes things miss the mark, especially with people in the industry, is they get into the really nitty-gritty technical parts. And I always say to people, do you know how your television turns on? Mm. No. But you know what you can do with your television. You know you can watch shows on it. You generally know how it works. And a lot of times I think people who are really in this space get into this minutia. I would always say... When people would explain it's a decentralized ledger, I'm like, most people don't know what a ledger is, you know, mm. like, so you're using all these terms that people don't even understand basically what they mean to describe something that's already really complicated. Mm -hmm. So I always try to explain it in a way that kind of puts what we already have um, in, in in frame so that it, it makes sense with the, explaining it. I think the other hard part is there really aren't that many use cases for regular people. What got me interested in it was the remittance market, which is essentially people travel from their country to maybe the U.S. or somewhere and then send money back to their family. Mm -hmm. And the way they were doing that was with Western Union, yeah. which takes like 10%, which is a lot of money. Yeah. So this was kind of a way to do that. Or if you're paying people in other countries, sending bank wires can be expensive and it takes a while. It's, it's a pain. Mm -hmm. And so Bitcoin could be that intermediary currency. And actually one of the exchanges we were working on, we were literally using Bitcoin as this middleman because with traditional banking, when you're sending wires, a bank is relying on its relationship with another bank, the credit, and then they settle up at another time, right. which is pretty archaic. Um, but you know, most people are using the traditional banking system. Yeah. Unless you're, if you're low income, then banks, cost you a lot of money with all the fees and things like that. Yeah. And so this was a kind of monetary way to empower people. And I just don't think we're really there yet for regular people to use it. Because mm -hmm. with the FTX thing, with people saying, it really bothers me when people are like, well, you shouldn't keep your money in the exchange. Well, that's a problem, first of all, if you can't keep your money in an exchange. Second of all, you want regular people to use this. You want them to set up an account. It's not easy to set up an account. You have to prove your, who you are. You have to upload your ID and your utility bill. And now, and you want people to then figure out how to buy the currency. And now you want them to move it on a hard wallet because they shouldn't keep it in the exchange. Like that's not easy to do and you don't want to screw up doing that no. also. And you have to know your password. If you forget it, you lose that money forever. So it's like, you can't have it both ways right now. Mm -hmm. You know, like you want people, more people to use it. Okay. But then don't ask them to do something else really complicated. Mm -hmm. And then, and then think they're idiots if they lose their money because they at least try to participate in the system that yeah. you are telling them that they should be part of. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and you're, you're absolutely right. Cause there's a, there's a big difference between wanting to use it just in general, whether as like a currency, um, or speculating. That's yeah. Really yeah. Good. And then like, of course there's a bunch of people who then become bitter about it because they lost money trading it. Yeah, and, yeah, it's that's just gambling. Like a, it's yeah. essentially gambling right now. Yeah, you know, like don't. I always say don't put in as much as you want to lose. Yeah. and it's it goes up, it goes down. It yeah. goes up, it goes down. It's done this for you know over ten years. This is just historically what it does, um, and it's very new and nascent. Mm. And there's probably going to be a lot of regulation that's going to happen, which mm. isn't necessarily 
a bad thing as long as there's clarity and it makes sense and still allows people to innovate. But, you know, you do have to protect people. Mm -hmm. We just saw what happens when you don't. Uh, So it's still still early days and decentralized systems there there is something to that with Mm. not having a middleman and and having things more automated and 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 preventing corruption and people being able to manipulate the system and numbers and things like that so there's a lot of great use cases and there are some companies working on that um and eventually hopefully it gets to be at a place where you don't even realize what it's using blockchain technology or whatever mm-hmm. behind the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, um, speaking of like regulations, do you think that that was just kind of like, I'm just adjusting my mic stand here. Just like always um, on the way, or do you think this FTX situation kind of like fast forwarded that in terms of like the need for regulation and you know, maybe just backing up in terms of explain because i don't i don't want to like make the whole episode about the ftx <laughs> shit just because i'm like if i'm tired of it i know you're tired of it so um but basically a guy fucked up and from what i from what i know uh, and and please fill in like what i'm missing here but from what i know they had their own um ftx had its like own currency or its own coin that people had like we're like relying on to have some type of value and then people finding out like, okay, this has no value was like a part of why shit kind of just fell apart. Like it, it sounded like they used their own coin as like leverage. Um, but that, well, that, I wouldn't say that was the main thing. What mm-hmm. they were doing is when you are going to buy Bitcoin or selling or whatever the cryptocurrency, you have to get fiat money, USD or whatever onto their, their system. Mm-hmm. So you're, I don't know. I think they probably had ACH or sending a wire and you sell it or whatever. And you, that those user funds, they were then, or, or they were then taking or crypto or whatever it was. And they are moving the user's money, not their profits to their trading um, company called Alameda. And then they were essentially gambling, gambling. They're buying different cryptos and, and losing money. And it wasn't their money to lose. So that's pretty much what happened. Or they were taking that money and they're buying real estate. They were, they were not taking their money. So then when people want their money, they're insolvent. They don't have the money to give to people. It's what happened you know, during the Great Depression with the banks. And banks do this all the time where they're using people's money. But you're not allowed to do that mm-hmm. with crypto. And it blows my mind to even have think that they would even attempt to do that because not once ever... Did, did we ever think of taking user funds and using it um, to, to do anything with it, actually? Yeah. You're not supposed to do anything with their money. Yeah. So that's basically what happened. And they got more and more in the hole and kept doing that. I think they invested in some startups and they invested in different political parties. And it's just yeah. mind-blowing to me because I know someone who knows SBF and before this blew up, I asked him about him because I was like, this guy sounds a little good, too good to be true. He's very opposite of what traditional crypto people are like. Usually they're libertarians and they think you should pay for your own fire department and that taxes are, are theft. <laughs> it's traditionally what, what they are. And he was like, no, I want to make a lot of money and I want to give it and help the world. 
And, uh, and so he told this person I know that, you know, everyone has a gift and his gift is making a lot of money and he just wants to give it all away. It's not making money when you're taking people's money and spending it. Like that is just so insane and like horrific to me what, what he did and like has no sort of realization or acknowledgement of, of what he did, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. it's so it's nuts but yeah essentially that's that's basically what happened yeah no i remember we were uh talking about this a bit um a while back and uh because you don't it sounds like you don't really and i wonder where you're at now in terms of how it's moved forward because but it sounded like you didn't really buy into like i guess kind of like the conspiracy side in terms of like all this being some elaborate scheme it kind of sounds like you you genuinely believe that this comes down to just like real like incompetence and just basically people who just should not have been in charge of this type of thing being in charge of it. Yeah, they didn't have a compliance officer. They didn't have mm-hmm. a board. They actually lost money in Alameda when Sam was there and somehow spun a story that they made all this money and no one did any sort of due diligence, which to me is mind blowing. Having raised money and having investors ask you a thousand questions and want to see proof, and it was almost like he made people feel like it, like how dare you even ask us for that, mm. you know? And he fit this mold, and this is what VCs do: they pattern match. Okay, he went to MIT. He's nerdy. He's white. He looks like he's homeless. Let's give him you know, hundreds of millions of dollars yeah. because, you know, maybe Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk, they both are nerdy looking and think they know everything yeah. and look how much money they've made. So that is pretty much what happened. I supposedly, this one VC called out Sam of saying, you guys don't have a board, like what? And then they said, fuck you and hung up. So I don't know how true that is. I'm, I'm assuming it is. They didn't give him money, but when you have, it's really this FOMO thing with raising money too. And, and, you know, if someone says, oh, this is a hot company, everyone's running to give them money and that's, and everyone wanted to get into crypto and there's, there can be huge gains and probably timing was right with what the market was looking like. And, and then they had people who didn't know what they're doing, who apparently had zero moral compass, uh, and got in way over their head. And just was like free money and and went crazy. Yeah. Like I don't know. I went to one of the the compounds that apparently Sam bought the COO. It's forty million dollars. Why does a twenty something year old need a forty million dollar compound? Where is this money coming from? Why are you buying her this? And you know, most likely it came from user funds, which is even more insulting. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know. They, they did a great job with PR and spitting this narrative that, you know, Sam drives a Toyota and, and, you know, they're, they're just, they're really, um, you know, thrifty and, and they don't care about any of this stuff, but then you look at their lifestyle and, and that is not how they were living. Yeah. You know, and I, I, um, I know it's really easy to like, look at something after, you know, after the fact, after it's all gone down and be like, yeah, you know, how could people be this dumb? But I think the first red flag that I would have, um, 
seen is like maybe you know you can call this pessimistic but i think someone rising to the level that spf did um where they are you know at the very least uh uh a nine figure net worth and, and obviously I don't know if he got to, uh, uh, if his net worth was ever calculated at a billion dollars plus, but if not, he was definitely on the way. And, um, but his whole aesthetic of being like, I'm just getting wealthy so that I can like give it away. Um, I don't know what like VCs saw or like, just like, you know, what it's being in that world. But to me, that would have just been the first red flag of being like, yeah, no one, no one works this hard just to like be a saint and give it all oh like like I you know that's not even pessimism like it just no one no one does that so to me that would have been the first red flag of like this guy being like the second coming of Christ and giving away all his wealth it's just like why um but then secondly I guess like actually you know what because a question for you as someone who has dealt with VCs um and maybe for people listening, just uh, explaining what a VC is. But as someone who has dealt with VCs, you can probably speak to like, because, um, you know, for people who, for someone like myself, having watched like movies and TV shows that show investors in, uh, you know, uh, companies and, you know, everyone's seen the, the Facebook movie and everything. And VCs always come off, at least in pop culture, as these guys that are like, immune to bullshit you can't fool them they're super smart and they like do like rigorous checks and shit but like you have been around vc so maybe if, if you wouldn't mind a just explaining what a vc is and just like what your experience is in terms of like their vetting process um if you would like to do that sure so vc stands for venture capitalist and a lot of times they're putting their own money too into the firm and they're managing other people's money and then they're investing in companies that they think are going to have a high return. And there's different stages and they could have different focuses. Maybe they're only investing in biotech or they really have um, usually some, well, it could, they have a, a mandate of what type of companies they're looking for. Mm. And so people, LPs or what they call it, who are investing in the fund, they're getting a percentage on exits and, and they're also being charged by the, by the um, firm. I won't get into all of the details of that. And so then you they invest in companies. And so companies usually warm intro from someone they know or you can reach out to them sometimes or meet them. And then you, you pitch your company, you'd put a deck together and you talk about the problem that you're solving and why you are the solution and a few other sides. And then they will decide if they are interested or not. A lot of VCs don't tell you <laughs> no. So they ghost you or they lead you on. Or sometimes they're just meeting with you to get information for their other portfolio companies. So when they invest in a company, they're, they're considered their portfolio company. And... Uh, and then if they are interested, they'll start asking for more information and you'll usually create a data room that has maybe your incorporation docs, who's on your board, um, some of your financial stuff, depending on what stage you're at. And and then they'll you know ask you more questions. They'll probably have you meet more people at the fund and then they'll decide if they wanna put money in. If they do, they'll send you a term sheet. So they'll say, you know, I'll give you X amount for this amount of your company. It's a very simple way 
that I'm putting it because there's different instruments that they use, like a safe or convertible note, or if they're doing a pricing round. And then you can decide if you want to take their money at those terms or not. Sometimes they want a board seat. Sometimes they don't. It really depends of how early you are. And, um, and yeah, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of VCs, Oh, I don't want to say a lot, but I mean, I wouldn't say like all VCs are the smartest people I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of them have experience building companies and some of them don't. So that's always interesting. <laughs> and they, they are part of this startup ecosystem. Angels are people who are usually singular individuals who are investing their own money. So sometimes people angel invest and then become a VC mm -hmm. or maybe they're putting money into a fund too. And they all have different reputations and yeah. And so they're the ones who are, are putting in, in money in, in companies like FTX and yeah. a lot of big name VCs. So, you know, you get a good reputation if you're betting on a lot of winners, mm. uh, a lot of companies that are exiting meaning they like sold or maybe they IPO'd and then the investors can get their money out. Otherwise it's usually locked in until there's some liquidation event as they would say. Uh, yeah. So now these investors most likely lost all their money, <laughs> but what really sucks is all the regular people who lost all their yeah. money. Yeah. And I imagine they'll probably, I, I doubt any of the, the VCs like put, like all or even close to most of, of their wealth in there. They're probably going to, they, I mean, they probably took a significant hit, but they're not, uh, you know, worried about paying their bills or anything like that. I mean, yeah. it happens. I think, what is it? It's a very small, I think what 10% of startups succeed something, unless it's started by a woman, then the, the, oh. then the percentage is a lot higher, but it's just, Again, gambling. All I, I mean, pretty much all investing is gambling, mm -hmm. unless it's some really slow, I don't know, mutual fund. I don't know that much about yeah. that stuff. Is there is there any like unique training that like like because when I hear the, like just the title VC, is it, it? I mean, is any person with a bunch of money that just invests in startups of like? Is there any type of like? Uh, process in like earning the title of VC? You're just anybody with money that can just throw it somewhere? Uh, well, you work for a, a venture capitalist firm. Okay. And so they have different positions in that. So someone could be an analyst that's kind of lower. So they might be doing more of the due diligence type stuff. So like going over the financials, if you're like here, this is our P&L for the last three years and looking that over and, and seeing if it makes sense and, you know, how fast are they growing? So you have someone really delving in, into that um, and seeing who are their customers, finding out what are, what their plans are, you know, what's their burn rate, all of that stuff. There's, there's probably analyst type people who are digging more into that mm. and then talking to the partners mm -hmm. on, you know, does it make sense? Does it not? Mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you can, work your way up or let's say you had a big exit and you want to be part of a, a fund then you know and you have this experience then you can you know get hired as a vc a lot of people go to business school and then they they go in to be a vc um but a lot, i would say there's a there's definitely a lot of entrepreneurs or there's more of going the finance round 
um, or, you know, you get an internship at a VC, probably because your parents know somebody. Uh, it's still, it still has the, you know, Nepo old ways. I'm not going to call out some, some funds, but, you know, name brand funds and then their kids have funds mm-hmm. and, you know, that's yeah. not usually how it works. I mean, I had this one inv- um, guy who was going to invest in us. We turned it down and I won't say the name of his very, very, very famous musician father, like probably one of the most famous musicians to, to ever be. And uh, he was saying to me, oh, I know what it's like to self-fund a company. I self-funded my company. I'm, I'm thinking like, yeah, from your $20 million trust fund, that's not self-funding. Yeah. And then he goes, oh, I really want you to meet our VP. You're going to love our VP, our VP, VP, VP. His VP gets on the call. Uh, her last name is the same as his last name. She is his 22-year-old daughter. Jesus. You know, so yeah. don't really care what she thinks yeah. about my company when you have like barely any life experience, yeah. let alone business experience. So it's that's, still works That's like crazy, that. man. And, and it, like, you know, for all of us that again, like on the outside of this world that like the closest we've gotten to it is watching all the mini series that have come up in the last like four or five years. Um, the Uber one was really good. Uh, the, the, we work one was really fucking good. That was, it was just really entertaining. Um, and, uh, of course, um, God, what's her name? Uh, Elizabeth. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, there, that book was really good. Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta read the book. I, yeah, I, I did have it somewhere. It's yeah, I mean, I have a crazy Uber story, but I'm gonna save that for my. Okay. Um, yeah, no, because you being from uh, San Fran and coming up, because uh, Uber was back, like Uber was taking off the same time crypto. Well, not that they no, have anything well, to do with each other. A little other bit more. before, I think it was 2011, maybe ish. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I remember it used to only be black car, but I have a crazy story about Travis and Uber. But I'm saving that for my one woman show. <laughs> okay. And I have a story about lunch that I had with Mark Zuckerberg. Also oh. staying for my show. So I, I got to do all this stuff at the time because I think I was the only woman in San Francisco, basically, Damn. like at least in tech. So I got invited to a lot of stuff and met a lot of people yeah. and um, was really part of that world that yeah. I didn't realize how exclusive it was at at the time yeah. um do you think that the sbf shit like like because I, I i i know what you're 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 talking about in terms of that aesthetic because it's kind of the same thing and um like so uh within music in like the not yeah like in the classical world uh for like new school composers they kind of there is this kind of like aesthetic of being like a disturbed you know, misunderstood <laughs> genius that like really what they're doing, if we're being real, like a lot of these guys are kind of just pretending to be like on the spectrum to like come off as like this very ultra focused singular, like when I wake up, I breathe and eat, sleep this thing. Yeah. And like, there's this unfortunately like, but then of course, like being like, like, you know, if we're just being real that's really only believable if you're a white guy. Like no one like that like you don't you don't really see that with black people. You don't you don't really see that like you, women aren't really able to pull off that aesthetic. 
But it with the SBF thing, it was a for me it was a reminder how powerful the aesthetic of being basically an on the spectrum white dude that is like very highly focused on this thing, like how far you can go with it and how many people at least that are considered to be intelligent that you can dupe just by looking the part of like, like, like just like looking like a genius. But I imagine like in your world and, and I don't want to speak for you, but like, as a, like, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you, do you think, do you think anyone else can get away with that aesthetic? Like do, do like minorities, do women get away with like that, like appearing like a genius and like, how far does that take? <laughs> I mean, else. I don't know. Have you seen Caroline from Alameda, SPF's former girlfriend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who had like zero experience and is like very nerdy looking. True, yeah. And somehow she's the CEO and she's talking in interviews how she doesn't know how to do any of, that, any of these things and has like no stops. But she she looks the part too um, and, you know, went to – I don't remember Stanford, maybe yeah. or MIT, one of those. So I, I may, I think maybe it can be the the nerdy thing. Yeah. I just hope we, maybe the pendulum swings in the other direction. We're having empathy and compassion, and maybe social intelligence is important because if we look at like Elon Musk, who really is just very solely focused on himself and what is benefits him and how much engagement he gets. If instead as a society, we start saying who cares if that person is a genius, are they actually doing things that are good for all of us? Mm. Cause when we bring everyone up, we're all doing well, mm -hmm. you know, instead of having these like idolizing people who are so smart, but don't care about humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just making money. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and I, I, um, you know, he hearing you like, uh, speak of all this, cause I, you know, cause in like looking you up and reading all the articles that featured you, uh, we'll get to this in a second. I'm, I'm curious how you were able to coin the, the nickname of, uh, what is it? Queen, Queen of, of Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Yeah. yeah. That, that, which is like, that's a cra uh, who's a wall street journal called you that. Yeah, but they weren't the first one, and I hated it. And um, <laughs> I was, I was like, "This is so." I was. Ugh, it's kind of funny how mo people who are crowned with like king or queen of something tend to like hate that title. Um, but like, why? Yeah. Why for you? I mean, I thought it was embarrassing. I, I make a joke about how I didn't want to get kidnapped, but it started <laughs> in 2013 before anyone even knew. It was yeah. this uh, German writer. I met him at the first Bitcoin conference. It was in San Jose in 20, May 2013, I believe. And he wrote that. And I don't even know where he got this picture of me from. And wearing like a, a mask, <laughs> you know, it was like from some party I went to in New York. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so embarrassing. And then I was on Fox Business and they introduced, they looked it up and they, I didn't know they were going to say this. They called me Queen of Bitcoin mm -hmm. and I was like so embarrassed when they said that. And then the Wall Street Journal wrote their article saying that uh, and every once in a while people would say it. And then I'd make a joke and I never really, I don't know, I thought it was just like a somewhat pretentious thing to yeah. say, but yeah. You that know, must I be weird too because people probably it like that would make me uncomfortable just because people would probably 
I'd be wondering if people think that like I call myself yeah. that. <laughs> it's Actually, like, my Wikipedia page, someone kept changing it to say self-proclaimed. And I'm like, I didn't say that. And I don't even know how to use Wikipedia. So I don't even know how to change it. And I'm like, this is so messed up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I mean, now I have it in my stuff, but it's more of like an afterthought. And, and my show is called the rise and fall of the queen of Bitcoin. Yeah. So I'm trying to embrace it in a way. And maybe because I'm not so much in that world, it's easier for me to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause there's a lot of different titles in crypto. There was like Bitcoin Jesus. Uh, I don't know the, I'm trying to remember the other ones <laughs> that people had, but I never really, I don't know. I'm not a big social media person. Mm-hmm. I never really was a self promotion person on those things, mm-hmm. which if I started back then, then I probably wouldn't have to work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's just not really my, my vibe. Yeah. Yeah. No, dude, I think, um, I think especially in getting ready for this, I'm realizing that so much of the conversation cr- surrounding both, um, Bitcoin and just crypto in general, unfortunately, like, the majority of it in pop culture, it's seen as this thing to get like rich quickly off of. And I think it does a disservice to like what people who are really in it are trying to explain about it in terms of like what makes it, what, how, like how it's different from the, the currencies that we're all familiar with, the dollar and whatnot, and like what it's a long-term purpose is. But like, it kind of in the last few years, it kind of just turned like the, the main conversation kind of just turned into like, yo, like this new coin, like hop into it now that it's like worth 0.0001 cents. Cause it might be worth one cent. And it's like, like it kind of turned into this, um, the, the, the mainstream conversation made it seem like this kind of like fun casino thing. And, and like, do you, do you think there's like, are there like fundamental aspects of um, and I and I'm I separate Bitcoin. I, I keep saying Bitcoin and crypto because um, throwing Bitcoin under that umbrella is kind of a disorder. Maybe you want to, if you would like to explain the difference between Bitcoin and all the other coins. But um, what, like, would you agree with in terms of like, like? have you also seen over the years just like how it's kind of just turned into this like kind of like gambling like oh you can maybe get rich off of it thing like do, do you think like it, it does a disservice to just like people actually learning about what it really is yeah i mean i think that's been the case since bitcoin um ethereum was the other big mm. protocol and ether and they had a token sale and no, Ether's gone up and down. But the point of Ether, the currency part, was sort of like the gas, the payment in order to do things on this platform and having kind of like a decentralized platform that you can build dApps or build things on, kind of like how we have an iPhone and you have apps on it, but building it in a decentralized way hmm. and not having a central authority um, being the middleman for things. And there are definitely some positives to that. And I think there's a lot of things they haven't worked out too. Um, you know, like for an example, like Uber right now, who's getting most of the money when you're doing your trip? It's not the driver, yeah. it's the company. So is there a way to make that decentralized where you don't need to have this company being on top of everything? Is there a way to make it 
automated and I know there was someone working on that, but there's, you know, a long ways to go, but being able to kind of displace or having community driven things, which is what makes Bitcoin go, um, instead of a central authority, having like community based, you know, is this, is this person violating the rules or incentivizing people with these tokens in order for them to make the company go around, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and that is, I think what a lot of companies were trying to do is taking power back and making it more distributed, making it more con- consumer based, uh, kind of like what, what is it when you have the um, like bakeries that are run by a group of people? Why, why can't I think of it? Um, is there a word for this? <laughs> yeah, there is. It's like it's like where everyone owns part of it. Oh, and I don't know. It's someone out there knows what I'm talking about. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, by having these different currencies and being on their platform and trying to decentralize an industry or business that they're doing where people are incentivized to make it go around, uh, that's really what these tokens were supposed to be for. People started using the tokens to raise money for their company Mm -hmm. instead of selling equity, which is what you're giving to these VCs, Mm -hmm. like we talked about before, in exchange for money. So they own part of your company. And then if you have an exit, they get money equivalent to how much they own. So with the tokens, when if you need these tokens in order to have these companies work, then and people are buying and selling them, and the more demand and the more use, and if they're being burned every time they're used, then essentially the value of the token is going to increase. Mm-hmm. Like the more the business is used or whatever, kind of similar to the equity type relationships somewhat except it'd be more liquid because with private companies you can't just sell the equity um and so yeah that's really what they're doing then the sec came in and said you can't sell these tokens to raise money for your company um they're then a security there's security laws uh just like stocks there's brokers are actually holding on to them mm-hmm. not going to get into all the complicated <laughs> of that but basically there are rules yeah so, but a lot of these companies that they're trying to build and make them decentralized never really materialized. Mm-hmm. So those tokens were worth nothing. But uh, but yeah, I think people were just speculating, thinking they were going to get rich, not really looking at who's part of the team. Is this even possible? You know, just like what what investors look at. People didn't have their investor hats on. And what's kind of a little bit... I don't know. I don't want to say sad about it, but in this country, in the U.S., you can't invest, be an investor in companies unless you're a credited investor. Hmm. And that means essentially rich. That means you're making $250,000 a year for two years with the assumption you're going to be making that amount for the third year. Then you can be a credit investor. Or if you have a million dollars, not including your house, then you Uh. can be an accredited investor. And then you can invest in, in different things that general public is not allowed to invest in mm-hmm. the reason they have that is so <clears throat> little ladies aren't like losing their shirt because they're investing in all these scams and stuff but in other countries if you want to put 10 grand into your friend's company you believe in it then you can do that but yeah. here you can't and now with people losing money in these you know token sales that's kind of proving the point of why regular people are not allowed to invest in things mm-hmm. like this because mm-hmm. you're not investigating you know you're not thinking of it as a risk 
you're you're trying you're gambling and you're you're thinking if you put everything on you know red you're gonna win and that's not how to look at this and sure some people made a lot of money but guess what they they got out and that's the hard part and i've been there because you're like it's gonna keep going up it's gonna they say it's gonna get to a dollar and then it doesn't and you lose your money and then you're pissed yeah but whose fault is that really you know like it's it's risky yeah it's investing in things and you know that we just look at the people who made a lot of money but there's a lot of people who didn't yeah there's this um twitter page i used to follow when i was like on twitter a lot but um <laughs> it would show people it would specifically show people who um were up significantly and basically just got too greedy and like yeah. watched it go either either like down to a significant portion where they still won, they still um, uh, made profit, but not as much as they could have, or like they, worst case scenario, they just like lost. But um, no, there were people, there were like screenshots of people that, um, cause there's this like kind of thing in the trading community of, uh, of posting uh, like your worst losses. <laughs> and like, there's people, I would like see screenshots of people who like bought in that Bitcoin at like eight grand and um, like watched it go all the way up to like 62 grand or something like that. And then like they'd watch it go back down to like 20 or something. And um, no, you're right. Cause like it, it's, it's uh there is definitely like a, the whole like getting rich off of this thing. Like there's an element of, um, I think with, I think with like, you know, and, and maybe provide some like nuance here that I'm not seeing. Cause the, the, like even the SBF thing, for example, I feel like that's not, sur- it's not entirely surprising in the sense that like anything, at least in my lifetime, I feel like anything that is both new and has a potential to generate a lot of money or make a lot of money there's always going to be people who become a part of it to take advantage of everyone not really knowing what's going on and just and just fucking take advantage of that like like that so to, to me spf is like not like I'll, again a lot of people still don't know what the fuck crypto and bitcoin really is but i i do think it's it's kind of it's sad to see how that kind of just smears the whole vibe of cryptocurrency. Like like everything under crypto then falls under this, like all it takes is like one bad actor to like push people away from like, cause like, like what SBF did and like what crypto, what Bitcoin is, like what it is for itself are two totally different things. Yet his story would discourage someone from like learning about what crypto is, uh, potentially investing in it or, you know, or, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it fucked up how, cause I, I see it as this like thing that's still relatively new, but it's, it's relying heavily on the big names in it to, to like actually really elevate. I mean, do, would you, would you agree that like what he did kind of like like do you, do you feel like the whole crypto community just like took a hit in terms of like reputation and trust just from like what he did yeah definitely yeah i mean there have been a lot of things but this was the most high profile one i mean there's more money lost than the bernie madoff thing oh, so 
it's gonna take some time to recover and it it, it was a domino effect there's so many companies that were wiped out because of this yeah. as well block fi um genesis is having issues um i don't know barry silbert's company and he's been in bitcoin even longer than i have uh and created a bunch of stuff so it really has a massive massive effect I don't think it's the end for it and definitely the technology as a whole. And there are companies that are still working away. I mean, it, it goes up and down. There's been, you know, a ton of different things. This is just on a larger scale. And so I think the genie's already out of the, out of the box. And I think there's going to be a lot of regulation that comes mm -hmm. down and we'll see how everything shakes out. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it sucks what he did. Yeah. It is very very selfish and it doesn't really surprise me because there are a lot of people like that in the industry who mm -hmm. you know they're not doing what's good for for this technology they're doing what's good for themselves mm -hmm. and it, it attracts a certain type of people i mean right. even to do startups you have to be you know risk adverse mm -hmm. but to do startups on something that is has no real regulation is so new and I mean, it attracts a certain type of person, probably sure. myself included, but I wouldn't say I'm a, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm like them. Um, I feel like I'm different a little bit, which is hopefully you're very different. From well, us. yeah, no, I mean, I'm definitely not on that side <laughs> at all. And uh, it's part of one of the reasons I really don't want to work with it anymore because of people mm. and there's, it just attracts a lot of, unstable people i always say you know when i got into being an entrepreneur in that space it was the first time i was the adult at the table i was like how am i the rational one here <laughs> yeah. yeah there's something really really dangerous about that kind of like gold rush vibe of like feeling like you're you've you know come up come across this thing that like is growing and it's a once in an opportunity lifetime to like hop on it now and and all this and and the, it's a very I, I i can understand being heavily attracted to that vibe and i can definitely understand very charismatic opportunists yeah but this isn't new that. this has like the dot com the first dot com so many people lost money and so many people were doing startups like this is just part of the cycle whenever there's some new thing and there's not much mm -hmm. regulation yep. i mean look at the great depression with the banks now mm -hmm. they have to insure money be so it doesn't happen again and sometimes maybe you need things to blow up before you figure out regulation and and, and putting the rules in place of course people are going to always take advantage and now it's unavoidable yeah. because a lot of the different departments in the u.s were kind of fighting over who had jurisdiction over stuff who who was in charge of actually making the rules and and now you can't ignore it anymore so i mean it sucks but this seems to be the process of of what we've gone through with how to you know like even with covid right like <laughs> didn't do it the right way of trying to prevent it until everyone starts dying then you kind of figure out what you have to do and masks and all that stuff so i think the the great fallacy in life is that people expecting other people uh, like that they know what they're doing yeah and i think most people in most situations don't really know what they're doing yeah you can make the best guess 
but no one knows what they're doing. We're all just figuring it out. And, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it explodes. And sometimes you have people who are purposely trying to destroy everything. Yeah. It still baffles me in 2023 how anyone can fall for the nerd aesthetic. It just, it's just, it's, it's incredible. It really is. I mean, all the guy. I mean, you know, I, I guess maybe VCs just like don't watch TV shows because in the last five years, man, there's just been so many shows based on actual real stories of people who were able to get by. Like Elizabeth um, Theranos, like she she did the same thing. She slept in her office, and then people would be like, "Dude, she's sleeping in her office." Like that means she works really hard. And she's like, "How are you falling for this?" Like how time and time again. Um, and uh, you know, I, and I know I like mentioned um, the Uber Travis and and uh, uh, I forget his name from the WeWork. Adam. Um, yeah, Adam. Yeah, you knew me. God, I, I uh, Jared Leto did such a good job of playing it, but um. Well, no. he just raised like what was it, one hundred and sixteen million dollars? Yeah, he wasn't Andreessen. a scammer. He was just a bad businessman, right? <laughs> he, he was just he just yeah. he was just way over in his head and in his buying real estate. Like, yeah, they're really a real estate company. Yeah, his thing was just if I remember correctly, um, he just he was generating like like the revenue was increased, but his expenses were going up just as much. Like, he just never really made profit. He just yeah yeah that that was his problem and then travis was just uh travis just decided to like turn a blind eye towards like certain cultural things in the company I, it, he didn't turn a blind eye he actually was actively encouraging that and what oh. they did to like the reporter and um just really the oh, end yeah. justifies the means and spying on people and the way they treated women and like and also the way they t- treated drivers and the way they just completely dismissed any transportation rules and there they're not going to jail when they're breaking the taxi cab rules yeah and you know a lot of those rules are pretty archaic and messed up the way it works with the medallions and stuff like that there definitely was a need for it to be disrupted but they didn't this whole like move fast and break things facebook did that and it really screwed with our democracy like that isn't necessarily the best way to go. But yeah. then when you want people to innovate and you have these rules that aren't taking into account innovation and companies like crypto and stuff that don't fall in these traditional rules in that sector, it's it's hard to navigate. So there you want to be able to try to do new things without the like overarching pressing crushing rules and regulations, but you also need that have some so that people aren't taking advantage mm. of the system dude what is what's what's in the water in san fran like what <laughs> like god damn there you the san fran like in terms of its uh entrepreneurial the culture behind all this it god well, it it's just where uh, the money was that's why everyone yeah. moved there because you had sand hill rose silicon valley so before the days of zoom and you would have to meet in person with investors. Yeah. And if they're all in one area, then you have to move to that area. And now you can be wherever. And San Francisco has lost kind of that little heyday time that I lived in with all the startups and stuff. And it got really expensive and pushed out a lot of lower income people and the artists. It used to be like this vibrant artist, amazing scene. Um, but yeah, 
when you're around these people, that's how I got into it. You're around all these people. Everyone's innovating, making money, doing all this stuff. And you're like, why can't I do that too? And that kind of catches on. But from what I hear, I haven't been in a, since the pandemic, uh, it's really not the same. Hmm. Um, but, but that's kind of what it was. And you're just, everyone's in startups. The, my friend showed me this card that his friend made that said, I do not consent to hear about your startup. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's the most hilarious. amazing thing because everyone is in it and it gets really monotonous and annoying. Yeah. And sometimes you just want to go out and like talk to people about other things that's in hilarious. startup. I feel like a, like a Uber driver or Lyft driver would have to have that sticker. Like maybe like on the back part of the, of the like front seats, just cause I, I feel like um, people would like want to like practice their pitch on like Uber drivers and shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my God, they probably hear like, a, in, a, in a year, they probably hear like hundreds well, of Well, they're pitching pitches. you too. I mean, some yeah. of them have their own companies and they're making money doing Uber. I mean, it's just all yeah. over the place. And, and it, I think that's probably partly why it became so kind of like elitist snobby in some ways. Mm-hmm. Like I know I would, before back in the day, Facebook, you'd be like, oh wait, who are our mutual friends mm-hmm. and kind of like judge people based on that or, yeah. you know, not wanting to get pitched. So maybe VCs and investors weren't going to some things because yeah. people would come up and pitch them, Yeah, which, you know, I'm all about shooting your shot, but make sure that they're, they're okay with it yeah. too. I mean, it's a very, it's a different kind of celebrities yeah. there than, than here. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely is has that air of like, oh my god, that's so and so. That's like, you know, Mark Andreessen or whatever, and wanting to talk to them. Yeah. But, but I think that time is it's not as crazy as it was back in the 2010s. Yeah. You know, and with uh, I, because I, I was hearing about that during the whole pandemic in terms of like, you know, L.A., New York, San Fran, like you know, they're they're there it's fallen off and blah 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 and and i think naturally um when something or somewhere falls off people are looking for the other place that's rising but i think things like in this situation i feel like something can be true in the sense like it can be falling off but there's not really anything replacing it because like i i don't I, I i i'm still i'm not convinced that like Austin or any of these Miami's other places. Miami's really big right now, though. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan, but like, I mean, a lot of people move back to New York, but Miami, because of the weather, I okay. think will always be. Uh, I, I, I guess I have that. a different perspective on it as a musician. Miami's just sketchy. I'm not a big fan. Sketchy, I mean, I'm from there. Man. I'm not a. Any, anyone in like the music industry in, in Miami, at least I don't know what it's like in the finance world, but like, if you're big in the music industry, like, you, you've had to like do some fucked up shit to like be like someone big in Miami for sure. I've, I've, I've heard stories that are just, yeah, well, you're probably oof. not starting your career there if you, but you know, cause that's not, it's like New York and LA. That's where most of the things probably are like the gigs or the like industry around it that, you know, built around mm-hmm. where to record and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Miami, probably not, really yeah i actually i have a two-part question for you going back to like the uh crypto stuff but about more about you and your come up one because i mean obviously you know there's no crypto major there's nowhere really i guess 
you know, official institution you can go to and be like, yeah, I'm learning about crypto. So like, what was the process like of educating yourself and becoming this uh, uh, Bitcoin queen? And then like by educating yourself and actually knowing what the fuck you're talking about, I'm curious as to like how often you run into people where you're just like, man, like you have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Like you're, a, you are a pretender. But um, I guess the first part of that question just being, how did you educate yourself? Well, first of all, there are um, actually institutions now. So MIT teaches a blockchain course. Mm-hmm. I think my video might be still part of the curriculum and I'm actually going to guest lecture at Wharton, a UPenn. Nice. Um, so there, and that's a class on, on cryptocurrency, I think. It's, I don't remember the official title I have there. So this, so now there are kind of ways to learn and YouTube videos and stuff. But back then, I learned by doing. I didn't know mm-hmm. that much about Bitcoin. I didn't even know what an exchange was when I started working at an exchange. So I learned by doing, and then I became EVP at this the first crypto PR firm. I had to Google what does a PR firm do. I didn't even know. I mean, I didn't start as EVP, just the VP, but. Uh, but yeah, I just, I learned by doing and, and talking to people and really trying to wrap my head around it and then being able to explain it to other people. So researching and, and just trying to find resources, but because I was like in the middle of it, I got to see what was actually happening and listening and talking to people. There's a lot of conferences. I don't, I don't really like watching the conference part. I feel like people aren't going to tell you that anything that interesting. Mm. It's it's at the parties. So that's kind of how I learn. Um, and I continue to talk to people. I'm not as in it as I was before. When I was doing the PR stuff, I had to learn about these companies or clients. And that's where I saw all the different industries people were trying to decentralize and what they were trying to do. And so I, I definitely learned a ton doing that um so yeah i guess just being around people and reading and talking to people and asking questions and not being afraid about that and then the second question was about people not knowing this is the thing no one knows everything it's Mm -hmm. impossible like it's everything's constantly changing Mm -hmm. there's no real expert of any kind because something that was relevant maybe two years ago is not so relevant now or um, there's a lot of things still in development and there's just so much out there. There's just, it's impossible to even know what people are doing and maybe they're really good at building and they're terrible at PR and press and mm. things like well, that. Well, I guess I mean people who kind of just like, they kind of, they, they just like enter the space and really just like are just fundamentally not qualified to like oh. advise others or like give their like takes on on the shit. Oh yeah, there's a ton of there's <laughs> been a ton of people like that since the very beginning. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean there are predatory people. What 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 we did or what I did is like you start building your community and then you you kind of vouch for people and mm. that becomes really important because. You're in this industry that's all about having trustless, not having to have a central authority. It's supposed to be trustless, but you actually need a lot of trust to trust the people who are making this or part of it. And so what we did is vouching for other people. I still do that. Like, is this, is this real? Is this person real? And if they do something shady, 
you know, letting people know, but it, it really is also one of those industries where people are kind of like cockroaches. They just like, don't die. <laughs> they like scam people and they keep scamming. And sometimes they'll even change their name. It's yeah. pretty crazy. There's so many. How though? Like, like, like what, what do you mean by like, like promoting like a specific coin or promoting like a subscription type thing to, for them? Like how? I mean, so many different ways of them doing different i mean it's all different scams mm -hmm. i mean one person he stole money from his company and pretended that they were hackers and that that was pretty crazy Jesus. and wanted me to get my friend at coinbase to investigate and like made this whole thing about it but when really he was the one who stole it um what's another one where they're saying they're building a company and all this BS and they're not, and then they take the money and run. There's another company in in the Cyprus, and we went to their office and it was all BS. Um, there are people who charge you to give you advice and do connections, but they really don't know what they're talking about, and they're just preying on. Yeah, that's a scam for sure. Yeah, yeah, preying on people who don't know any better, don't know anyone in the industry. Uh, what are some other ways that people scam? I mean, there's just so many things. I mean, and it's not just crypto. I mean, people try to scam me all the time. There's a scam with, I don't know if, I guess it's a scam where they move your phone number to another phone and then they reset all your passwords. That happened to me before, but I've other security stuff on there. Um, what else? People saying they got hacked and they didn't get hacked. People hacking other people. Um, creating, pumping up tokens and then them selling when it's high and yeah. then it completely drops. Yeah. That's a big one. Um, like orchestrated type, type things like that. Um, I don't know. That shit was so big during the pandemic, man. And like with the whole, because uh, the whole um, uh, like crypto bros thing, like the, the kind of just a ongoing meme of of uh, of that, like, because you know the when I when I as I was like seeing it like progress over time, I knew shit was getting like kind of weird or confusing when like crypto started also getting tied in with like NFTs and shit. That's when I knew I was like, all right, like this is getting like, this is weird because because the the things like, what what all this stuff has in common is that there's like a lot of specifically young men that are like looking for some like they're looking to be on like the, uh the the cutting edge yeah of of this thing Early, yeah yeah and like that's how the whole crypto bros came yeah you know came from everything because it's like yo like let's all invest in this thing and like make it big and a lot of these guys a lot of these um traders that um came up during the pandemic um a lot of them actually got like subpoenaed and, and are like going to prison because they were they were just on twitter they were just pumping they were pumping certain coins they were pumping certain stocks but like with um yeah there's just so much there's so much noise surrounding this there's just a lot of people that just want to like they just want to be a part of something and unfortunately crypto for a lot of people was this like guys this is our generation's gold rush 
and people weren't thinking like people a lot of people just aren't thinking long term like what the purpose of this all is but now it's just like a lot of bitter people being like yeah man avoid crypto i got burned on it but it's like how did you get burned you were trying to get like <laughs> you're trying to make like thousand percent returns yeah in like a month um i guess that being said um because i know we're gonna wrap up here soon in a second but like what what do you what do you think needs to be fundamentally understood about crypto whether that's like the powers that be or just the average person and how does this become as accessible and as easy as like me pulling out a dollar from my my wallet I mean, I think there's probably a lot that needs to happen. I think we need to have more clear um, regulation. I think there needs to be a lot more education around it. Uh, I think that there needs to be better probably use cases and and actual use cases to use it. Uh, once institutions start getting more involved, I mean, right now you can't say to Goldman Sachs, you know, invest in in like five percent of my portfolio on cryptos like they don't do that they don't it's not mature enough yet for it um there's no real reason behind it and maybe eventually we'll get there i think there's a lot of outdated technology that could benefit from some of this decentralized technology uh you know maybe if the if the government starts adapting it more i remember when we were in new york when there was going to be this bit license I was like, you can actually make, you know, software technology that could automatically do auditing and, mm. and, and look at stuff or, you know, be helpful. But that's, that's a little out of depth for, mm. you know, the government and government officials. So they'd really have to invest in like the infrastructure and education of that. Yeah. And, you, and different agencies are trying to get up. You know, and I'm sure the FBI is very well versed in this. There's this whole crazy Silk Road story, which actually part of it, what makes it even more insane is that one of the agents was stealing Bitcoin <laughs> from <laughs> from getting it from the from the Silk Road guy. And then like also blackmailing and strong arming. And, and so that was people who worked for the government who were supposed to be on like quote-unquote good side yeah. so yeah i i don't i mean it i think there's a, a long way for it to go and hopefully more specialized people and groups and education and and figuring out but you know i'm sure that will eventually yeah eventually shake out yeah no like like anything new man um like anything new that has the potential to make a lot of money there's definitely that period where you just have to get the fucking pretenders and the bad actors and opportunists out of the way um for to make like real permanent progress but at least so far from what i've seen um there are like real genuine people in this in the crypto space that like really want to let people know what it's about and then there's just a lot of people that are like hey buy this coin today and you know it'll make you a billionaire in a month and unfortunately that's the sexier i mean that's not and 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 that's not unique of crypto the get rich schemes get rich quick shit is like is like uh that has been like a 
hand-in-hand scam of capitalism since the beginning of fucking time it's just crypto is just having its own dance with that there's just there's people in the space are saying get rich quick and that that's that you know but um it is cool though like like i think you're, you're the first person i've been able to talk to that's in that world on a detailed level and um but it's cool to um you're one of the few people I've spoken to it that see it for what it is and not just see it as this thing where it's like, yo, like if I buy it, I can sell it for more. Like, like, like just seeing it just for that purpose. And it's hard. It's, it's honestly like, well, when I got involved, there was no way to make a lot of money off of it. It was less than $10 for Bitcoin. (laughs) I mean, I got into the ether token sale and I didn't put more money in because this guy's like, well, how do you know that Bitcoin's not going to like outpace it? And so he was wrong. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it, there wasn't that's not what I was thinking at all. Or maybe I would be able to retire by now. But um, yeah, I, I just saw it as something that had a lot of interesting techno- technology use cases and helping to prevent maybe corruption and yeah. having people be the central authority uh, and not being able to, to change numbers in the spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is after Enron, you know, and this is after the financial collapse. And <sighs> there was a lot of benefits that, you know, Bitcoin and blockchain was being touted for. And, you know, I think we're going to eventually get there. Just the immutability of, of different things. Uh, I met someone, they're using blockchain and I can't, I can't get into detail about it because I don't know. Mm. All I know is they're using it for like war crimes in Bosnia (laughs) and being able to like track people and pictures and having this record that can't be destroyed. So people maybe eventually are held accountable and having the ability to have something that is not never destroyed. um, is something that we probably don't think about, but, but there's so many, so much information from the past and from history that has been destroyed. And this is a way to preserve it forever. Yeah. So that, you know, there, there's a lot, like I said, a lot of different use cases, people are working on it and maybe one day we can be able to point and say, okay, this is why it's important. Hmm. Damn. You're a smart woman, man. Smart, smart <laughs> lady. <laughs> Damn. Uh, and I know we're going to have you back on uh, later. Time. See, and that's what I was saying, man. It's so, because the crypto shit to me is just so, um, uh, I have a musician's brain. So to me, like anything finance related is just so fun to talk about because at least in my head, it seems so absolute. But these are one of the conversations that reminds me that, um, there's actually like a lot more going on in it than just like the numbers and shit. And well, yeah. And also computer science to me is a very musical. I find like if you're good at one, you're good at the other because there's a lot of creativity that goes into programming because you yeah. can have something, do something and you can write it like 5,000 different ways. Yeah. And it is a language and, and the way you put things and, you know, some people with their code, it does look kind of like music the way it kind of goes hmm. together. And so it, it, the more I got into technology, the more I learned that because it would seem, you know, just ones and zeros. But mm-hmm. there is creativity that goes in it. Just like music is a bunch of notes, but you put them together and it can create something beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Shit, we try. 
<laughs> but um yeah no nah, man dude last couple uh podcast episodes it's um i've been telling people man it's conversations that are uh really hard for me to end just because like <laughs> i have a I, I have a for every question that i have that you answer especially like some like crypto i then have like a billion more but for the sake of your time and mine um we'll cap it here yeah we and, have parties uh, to go to. i know yeah no we're literally <laughs> both gonna yeah well i definitely want to be back and then we can talk about my one woman show yeah yeah no dude i'm, I'm really yeah. excited about that um yeah, go. yeah dude I'm gonna, I'm gonna go i'm gonna go not only am i gonna go i'm yeah. gonna go to if you're having multiple shows i'm gonna go yeah. to every single one whoa yeah i need to sell them all out but it's gonna be really fun it's it's kind of like my story it's gonna be funny for the most part mm-hmm. except for might shed a tear or two i hope um i'm <laughs> just kidding but yeah it's it's uh it's definitely it's not gonna be boring mm-hmm. that's for sure i but love uh going to like my musicians friends uh shows if they're doing like maybe two or three shows and i'll go to all of them and tell them which one Ooh. i like the most and why like what yeah whether it was an energy thing or maybe like the order of the set like it can be it can be anything but i, I love I love like experiencing the same person and same set, whether comedy or music and being like, man, why was this night or that take so much like to me better or more effective than the other? So no, man, I'll be there. Amazing. Yeah. Cause the audience really has so much to do with it. I mean, especially doing standup, you could say the same jokes to the same room and it will hit different every time. You know, it's like really, you know, we feed off the energy too, but you just never know how people are going to react to you. Yeah. Yeah, man. Dude, I mean, I'm, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm expor- yeah, looking forward excited. to it. But, um, yeah, no, for uh, everyone listening, again, like I say always, uh, I appreciate you if you made it to the end. This is a song called Life, and uh, it's time to party. We're out. Yeah, thanks, everybody.